Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. All right, if I haven't met you, I'm Chip Freed, the lead teaching pastor here. I want to greet everybody who's worshiping with us online. Uh, we're glad for uh, a wonderful full house today and glad for all of you there tuning in uh, to hear the Christmas message. I don't know about you, I love that video because Google says their searches go up exponentially during the holidays. Um, if Some of you have been on internet searches, don't lie, looking for that special gift, uh, looking for a toy, uh, looking for travel. Uh, instructions. How many of you checked the internet for the weather the last week or so? I don't know about you, but I've been on the Weather Channel app online about four times a day, right? But rarely do we hear about people searching for the real meaning of Christmas. And I love how that is, and that's why we're here today, and that's why you're tuning in online. You may not even be aware of it. Maybe you think you're going through a ritual. Maybe you think, you know, well, I I need to be with mom tonight or, or with my family, and that's all good. But it's a divine setup because it's a memory trace back to Eden where we want to get back to God. We want to know how to make that connection. We're searching for the real meaning of Christmas. And this year... I landed on that word, Emmanuel. We've been talking about the O Comes all through Advent. Uh, Some of us prayed the O Come antiphons, they're called, from December 17th through yesterday. And we prayed those with millions and millions of Christians in monasteries across the world that would pray these prayers since the 8th century um, leading up to Christmas Eve. And on December 23rd, I preached on O Rex Gentium, if I'm slaughtering my Latin It'd be nice. But, oh, king of the nations, we started off with that. Uh, Pastor Steve talked about, oh, root of Jesse's tree. And last week I talked about, um, oh, dawn from on high, break upon us. But on December 23rd, before Christmas Eve, they always pray, oh, come, Emmanuel. And that word, that name of Jesus, it's one of the names given to Jesus at Christmas. It was, it was reflected on back in Isaiah 7 that one day Emmanuel would come. But the name is given to Joseph, nobody else. And I think that's so significant. Because if anybody in the biblical story was looking for the meaning of Christmas, that first Christmas, it's Joseph. Joseph has to be a mess. Right? Joseph is hurting He's feeling betrayed. He's confused. I'm sure he was angry. I'm sure he was embarrassed because Mary was found pregnant. How do you get found pregnant? I don't know. I, I, you know, I just wondered about that. Um, Joseph and Mary were betrothed 
to one another. Now, our English translation says engaged. That's really not a good interpretation. In that day and age, betrothed was so much more than engaged. You really were committed. You were, you were in that covenant relationship of marriage. There was no getting out. You couldn't take off the ring and say, I hate you, and lay, lay it on the desk. You are legally betrothed to one another, legally marriage. The marriage has just not been consummated. And now, Mary is found pregnant. Don't you wonder how that first conversation went? I, I just do, you know. Um, you know, Joseph, it says, you see, he was ready to get out of Dodge. He was going to divorce Mary, but he was trying to do it discreetly. And that's why it bugs me when people say, well, you know, back in biblical days, the people were more primitive and they were more superstitious and they believed in miracles. If you, if you talk that way, you're practicing chronological arrogance. Joseph had no, he didn't believe in miracles. Mary, you know, do you imagine that? He said, Mary, you know, uh, you had to have sex with somebody. And she said, it's the Holy Spirit. And Joseph said, oh yeah, I forgot the Holy Spirit. He lives two doors down. <laughs> and you know, the, the church through the ages tried to clean up this story. Did you see that manger scene that flashed on the, on the screen? Did you see Joseph and Mary? Mary looks like she's about 20, and Joseph looks like he's about 60 right? He's got beer. And it's true because what the church did, they were so embarrassed by this story through the ages that some Pope came up with this crazy idea that Joseph was actually a widower. He had children by another marriage. He was much older than Mary. And so he never, ever in his life had sex with Mary. So she was a virgin her whole life. Nothing in the Bible supports that whatsoever. The Bible is not nearly as, you know, preoccupied and hush-hush with human sexuality and things like that as we are. The Bible's clear. They were betrothed. In that day and age, women were betrothed at somewhere between the ages of 13 and 14. Men, young, young boys we would call today, but men in that day and age were betrothed between 14 and 16. This isn't some funky Hollywood marriage. You know, with the guy 30 years older, these are a couple of scared teenagers. And Joseph finds out Mary's pregnant. Now, I don't, now if I were Joseph, I don't care if I was 16 or 26, I'm going to be with Gladys Knight on that midnight train to Georgia. <laughs> Deuces, I'm out. And Joseph was going to do that. He was prepared. It says he was going to get out. He was out of Dodge, except the angel of the Lord, God speaking through the angel of the Lord, comes to him and says this word, Joseph Emmanuel. My daughter's in the front row, and she just overheard that I said the word deuces. I heard her. She said, deuces? Dad. I'm sorry I embarrassed you on Christmas Eve, honey. Sure, there'll be more. Just listen up. Um, Emmanuel. God with us. Something about that name, something about that proclamation, it steadied Joseph. It, 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 it righted his ship. And it's the only because he heard that name that he was able to endure through what had to be public embarrassment and shame his entire life and become the saint in the church that we know him to be. And, and so I want to look at what does that word Emmanuel mean? And I think I want, it means two things. When Emmanuel uh, refers to Jesus, it means that he's God, he's us, and he's God with us. 
he, Joseph heard that Jesus is God. Emmanuel means Jesus is God. Now you see it three times in this particular scripture. It, it says, the angel of the Lord says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife because she will bear a son and you will name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And remember the prophecy that the virgin will bear a son and you will call him Emmanuel. What is in her is of the Holy Spirit. It's saying no man did this, Joseph. This is of the Holy Spirit of God. Mary has the presence of God in her very being. All of this has been orchestrated by the God of the universe. And secondly, this is one you can miss. I've missed it for many years. It said, you will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. What? Why didn't it say he'll save God's people? See, Israel was always God's people. And all through the prophecies is one day, God will come himself, and he will save his people from their sins. But it doesn't say that Jesus will save God's people. It says Jesus will save his people. And the angel is substituting Jesus' name where God should have been labeled in saying that they're both one and the same. And just in case you didn't get that, Joseph, remember Isaiah 600 years ago said, the virgin will bear a son and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And, you know, Mark does the very same thing. If you read Mark's gospel, he, he doesn't tell the Christmas story, doesn't tell the infant narratives, but he just begins saying, remember Isaiah said, Isaiah 40 said, one day there would be a messenger to come and he would say, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his path, because Yahweh is coming, the God of Israel. And Mark goes to say that John the Baptist is that one crying in the wilderness and Yahweh is coming and Yahweh is Jesus. And this is what happened to him. He understood that God is coming into the world. God, this is God of the universe. This is God uh, uh, doing this thing that's coming into this. And, and Joseph was a devout Jew and Jewish people, Eastern religion, nobody had a concept that an actual person could be God? Nobody had that. I mean, they, they, the prophets, they said, yeah, it says God will send a Messiah, a man. But they took that figuratively. They said there will be a man that God will use in the world. But Joseph said, this, this isn't God using anybody. This is God coming himself. And this created two things for Joseph. It created a crisis and it gave him comfort. Now, what do I mean by a crisis? When Jesus shows up and says he's God, and people always ask me, where in the New Testament does Jesus say he's God? Just about every page. In fact, you remember one time he said before Abraham was, I am. He, he uses the name of God. And, and what happens is, if Jesus is God, if this is God coming into the world to change history, if this is God coming to redeem the world, to save you and I what we really, really needed. I love somebody once wrote, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need was money, God would have sent an economist. But since our greatest need was to be rescued... God sent a savior in Christ the Lord. And Joseph says, I've come, God says, I've come to save you. That word sozo in the Greek literally means to pull back from the edge of the cliff. It's as God is saying, Joseph, I know you're ready to jump, but I'm gonna pull you back. 
And see, Joseph has a crisis now. If this is God, I have to react to it. See, this is something in Western Christianity and the American church we don't understand. And I think it's one of the reasons the American church is so screwed up. Because we try to treat Jesus like our personal assistant. He's a really nice teacher. He's a really good guy. I like what he says. I don't like this, so I discard it. Right? But if he's God, if this is God, read your Bible. When people would come up to Jesus, with Jesus making these claims, one of three things would happen. One, they would flee in terror. The others would, in rage, try to kill him, stone him, throw him over a cliff. Or thirdly, they would fall at his feet and worship him. But nowhere in the Bible can you find somebody coming up to Jesus and saying, wow, that was a really nice lecture, thank you. Nobody treated him like that, except we do. And that's why the church is messed up because we think it's about us when it's supposed to be about him. This is where we're at. And so he found out he's God, but it was also comfort for him. You know why? Because all through the scriptures going back to Genesis 3, they said everything that's broken in the world, everything that's wrong with the world, everything that's sick in the world is because we have abandoned God. And we thought we could be our own saviors and lords. And we can decide what's right and wrong for our life. And we can call upon God when we really need him and invite him into certain parts of our lives, but not all of them. And that's what's wrong in the world. But when Joseph finds out this is God, this isn't, this no other, Christianity is not religion. I don't believe it is. The world had enough religions. Every major religion in the world has a founder that comes out and says, I will show you the way to find God. But Jesus shows up and says, I'm not going to show you the way to find God. I'm God come to find you. And what Christmas says is even though we have abandoned God, God will never abandon us. And for whatever reason, Joseph that helped him. And the second thing he understood is that Jesus is God, but also Emmanuel means that Jesus is us. Now, I'm not going to go into some long theological treaties. Let me just tell you the ancient doctrines of Christmas and the doctrines of the resurrection is Jesus was truly and fully God and truly and fully human. What does it say in Hebrews? Made like them, fully human in every way. And, and what that means is Joseph found out two things. If Jesus is coming to us as one of us, then one, he has a concern for the physical. See, this is something other religions don't say. Eastern religions, God is transcendent. God is out there. The physical is fallen. It's un untrustworthy. And, and God in Jesus Christ says, yeah, my creation is broken, but I'm not going to stay up and heaven like some divine traffic cop I'm coming as one of them I'm getting my hands dirty I'm willing to get bloody because I care about what they are going through if you're going through a physical situation or circumstance God cares I had a little young girl in our children's ministry I love it when they run up to me in the lobby and it was a few years ago and she said Pastor Chip my dog just died and is she going to go to heaven and I said, look, I have a yellow lab. She'll be 14 in three months, so I'm going to be crying that, like that little kid in a while. I said, my yellow lab never talks back. She's always glad to see me. She never gossips. She doesn't post things on social media about me. You, you know, even when I screw up, she's happy. If she can't get into heaven, I have no chance. <laughs> and then you know what I told her? I said, honey, I want you to remember something. If it matters to you, it matters to God. That's what Christmas says. 
In fact, Hebrews uh, 2.17, Hebrews talks about the incarnation the most. It says, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. What was a high priest? It was somebody that made intercession before God. One day a year, Yom Kippur, in the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem, behind the curtain, he would go back and intercede for the people. But God said, no, I'm coming myself as a perfect high priest. You don't have to go to church only on Christmas. You don't have to go by behind the curtain. You don't have to have Pastor Chip or Pastor Terry or Pastor Lori pray for you. I'm your high priest right now. When you need me to be there, anytime you need me to be there, I'm interceding for you, coming with you. I thought about this, and I remembered a story I heard by William Willimon. He was a Methodist bishop, and before that, he had served as a chaplain in a hospital in a cancer ward, and he told us a story. He said he was serving in this cancer ward. He was a young pastor, and there was a woman who obviously was in her last days, maybe last hours, and he noticed she was clutching a crucifix with, you know, a Jesus figure on it, the crucified Christ, and next to her were rosary beads, so he knew she was a Catholic. And he said, after I prayed with her, because the Catholic Church practices sacraments of last rites, we don't do that. But he said, hey, do you need me to call you a priest? And she said, I have a priest. And he's here with me. And he's always here with me. That's the word. He cares about the physical. And the second thing, <clears throat> let me hurry. When G we find out Jesus is Emmanuel, it, it means Jesus is us. He has a concern for the physical, and he has a knowledge of the sorrowful. He knows what you're going through because he's gone through it too. Don't forget Jesus was at a funeral once and he wasn't grieving over a loved one. He did that with Lazarus. But the ultimate funeral he went to, he was not a, a mourner. He was a corpse. So he has been tried in every way that we are. And this is what we need to know. He's a knowledge of suffering. I love what this says because <clears throat> he himself suffered he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break death, the power of death. I don't know about you, I listened to the president of Ukraine give his you know, speech to joint sessions of Congress, and, and I was listening in, and, and you, we know there's horror in the world, but I gotta tell you, it really touched my heart when he said, you know, in a few days it's gonna be Christmas, and some of you will be lighting candles, and some of us will be holding up virtual candles. But he said, uh, we're gonna be lighting candles too. And we're going to be gathering at tables to encourage one another. Some places with no walls, some places with no heat, some places with no power. But we're going to encourage one another. And there's something in my heart. I say, hey, look at my God. Here's folks, we think we're cold. You know, and our power went out for an hour. Imagine that, right? And imagine sitting there and lighting a candle on Christmas Eve and not knowing if another terrorist missile is heading your way. And I thought, my God, I can't relate to that. And as soon as I say, you know what I heard? But Jesus can. Because he's been there too. And he has a, a knowledge for the sorrowful. That's what this means. That Emmanuel means Jesus is God. Emmanuel means Jesus is us. And then Emmanuel finally means, I'll close on this. It means God, Jesus is God with us. And you say, okay, Chip, I think you just went through that. Did you? No, I didn't. You know why? It's that little word with. You know what that word means in the Greek when you say with? It implies relationship. This is way deeper than Jesus is God just come to earth. No, this is Jesus is God come to be in relationship with us. In fact, if you read Mark's uh, gospel, when Jesus chose the 12, 
apostles to extend his word. Here's what Mark writes. It said, Jesus chose 12 apostles and appointed them so that they would be with him. Hard stop. Not with him to go out and preach the gospel, not with him to cast out uh, evil spirits, not with him to heal. They did all those things. But when he called them, he said, I'm choosing 12 because I want to be with them. What does that mean? It means to be in each other's lives. Jesus wants to be with us in relationship and, and through our relationship with him to transform our relationships with others throughout the world. See, Joseph said, he's coming into my situation and he wants to be in a relationship with me. He's telling me that, you know, the, the miracle of the gospel, watch this. I wrote this in my notes. The primary fruit of the gospel is not just a saved individual. See, that's what we've turned it into. We think the gospel is just, oh, I need to be saved so I can go to heaven. That is not the gospel. The gospel says Jesus didn't come in the world just to save individuals, but he came to create a whole new humanity, a whole new family. He came to build a whole new kingdom. And Joseph, for whatever reason, said, this, something's going on here. I'm all up in my feelings, but this is bigger in my feelings. God has a plan, and somehow I'm part of it. And he wants to be in relationship with me and through me transform relationships in the world. What does this look like? I did an internet search. No, actually, I always look after Christmas because the best stories about Christmas every year are always after Christmas because they don't find out about them. And then I got to wait a whole year to preach them. I've been waiting a whole year to preach this to you. What this looks like is a woman named Sarah Pasucci. She's from Bethpage, Long Island. Sarah Pasucci... Uh, received a letter in the mail last February scolding her. And the letter said this, take your Christmas lights down, it's Valentine's Day. Anonymous letter dropped off in her mailbox. While the, here's what the reporter wrote. While the letter would have upset her in normal circumstances, Pasuchli said it especially hit her hard now because her father lived with them and was a devout Christian. And he would decorate Christmas decorations right after Thanksgiving to light a light to Jesus. But if you remember last Christmas, Omicron decided to go crazy. And just before Christmas, her dad caught Omicron. And he died on January 15th. And so she said that receiving the harsh letter was a major blow to the heart. She said, we didn't have time to take the lights down. I didn't want to take the lights down. My dad put those lights up in honor of Jesus. And, you know, we're half struggling to pay for the funeral, and we're going through all of this. And then she said uh, she shared her story in a Facebook group called the Long Island Moms. And she explained why it was particularly painful. She wrote, the family has been preoccupied with funeral arrangements, mortgage, utility payments, and just the grieving process of it all. So, yes, we haven't got around to taking down Dad's Christmas decorations. I'm not sure I ever want to take down Dad's devotion to Jesus through his Christmas decorations. We need to be kind to people because we never know what they're going through. Do you know within minutes... After her sharing that, dozens of messages began to flood her inbox. Neighbors sent fa the family cards. They began to bring over meals. They sent flowers. Somebody set up a GoFundMe page to, to cover the costs of the mortgage payments and funeral. But you know the best miracle that happened? All the neighbors in Bethphage, uh, Long Island, went down in their basements and up in their attics and got the Christmas decorations that they had taken down and put them back up on their houses. And this reporter wrote the story 
that most Christmas lights have come down or at least been turned off in the world, but in Bethphage, Long Island, in this neighborhood, they're up long after Easter. That's God with us. God comes to be in a relationship with us and through that to transform our relationship with others. Joseph said he is God and he loves us enough to become one of us and he's with me and he's in relationship with me and it's for me. How else would have Joseph handled what he obviously went through? Bethlehem was a very small town. Everybody would have known in town, they can do the math. Mary was pregnant long before they got married. You know, can you imagine the nine months Jesus, or Joseph's waiting for Jesus to be born? Can you imagine the shame that family was other? But you know what Joseph found out? If God is for me, who can be against me? And you know what I think he did to avoid all that scandal and shame? He said, since he's come to have a relationship with me, I'm going to have a relationship with people that know they have a relationship with him too because they won't treat me like that. They'll put up their Christmas ornaments even if it's Valentine's Day. Joseph learned that Emmanuel was God, Emmanuel was us, Emmanuel was God in relationship with us and for us. And I don't know about you, I relate to Joseph because I was a little gloomy this Christmas. I'll just be honest. I was searching for a little bit of meaning. It's been a hard three years. I know you're probably hard for me saying that, tired of me saying that. But you know, ministry, these three Christmases, I was like, okay, 2020, we got hit by COVID. Uh, last year, Omicron decided to be, make Cleveland the center of the universe. And now we got a bomb cyclone. This is like, this is fun in Cleveland and Christmas. Now I've been grieving. You know, we've gone through this wonderful church. I love this church. I've been at this church I'm 19 years. I don't plan on going anywhere. I love this church. I love what it represents. But you got a church of 1,200 people and all of a sudden you don't see people. I haven't seen people in years. I saw some people tonight I haven't seen in two and a half years. And I just well up and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so glad to see you, right? I was worried. I, I got people that I still, maybe you're online. Send me an email, say, Chip, we're still here because I'm missing friends. I'm missing people. I, I, I'm, I'm seeing all this division and stuff. It's driving me crazy because we know that God in Christ came to reconcile, not to divide. And it's been breaking my heart. So I was down in the dumps and Joseph became a saint for me. And I realized, you know, every time we feel we're abandoned, it, it, we're never abandoned. And just like Joseph, he, he was trying to carry the weight of the world on his shoulders. I think like Garfield rises and sets on Chip's shoulders. And you know, God said, I'm Emmanuel. <laughs> Chip, you're all up in your feelings, but I got a plan that's bigger in your feelings. And I'm going to do something with you. And you said you wanted to follow me. And this is the road I'm taking you on. Are you willing to go? And so here's my Christmas verse. This is going to seem silly to you. I found it in 1 Colossians. And this is what I've been praying all through the holidays. Here's what it says. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and in invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers or presidents or governors or senators or politicians or, or pastors or popes. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That, Chip was, Jesus was saying to Joseph, he's saying to me, I know you're a mess, and I know you're, you're carrying a weight, but it's my job to carry the weight. And I've come to walk with you and do life with you because I want to be with you. Let me close with this story. Back in the, in the 80s, when I was wrestling whether to leave the corporate world and go into ministry, I read a book by a guy named 
Bruce Larson. It was called Believe and Belong. And in it, Bruce was a counselor, a Christian counselor in New York City. And he said, and we were out in Dallas, and Rich Viotis, who pastors in New York City now, a good friend, has become through Mosaics. And he told the story again. He reminded me of this book when I was at a crossroads that I had I kind of forgotten about. Bruce said anytime he had people come into his office that were kind of thinking, you know, that they were carrying the weight of the world, he said, let's go take a walk. And he would walk them down uh, out to his office to the RCA building on Fifth Avenue at Rockefeller Center. Do you know what's in front of that, that building? It's a statue. We have a picture of it. You know who that is? It's Atlas. He's carrying the way of the world on his shoulders, right? Atlas in Greek mythology was a titan that Zeus co- condemned to carry, hold up the heavens and the, and the skies for eternity. And here's Atlas under the weight of all this stress and strain, right? But you know what's, what's a juxtaposition that I would have missed that Bruce and Rich pointed out? Atlas's statue is pointing towards St. Patrick's Church. He's facing it. The most well-known church in all New York City. So he's carrying the weight of the world and he's looking into Christ's church. But guess what? This is so great. Right down where he's looking down the aisle, just behind the altar, there's another statue. It's a statue of a little boy holding, not carrying the world on his shoulders, but holding the world in his hands effortlessly. You know who that is? That's Jesus. That's boy Jesus. That's first grade Jesus. That's chicken tender eating Jesus. That's juice box stinking Jesus. Effortlessly holding the world in his hands. And so Joseph thought he was carrying the weight on his shoulders. I've thought that too. Maybe somebody, some of you do. And when you feel that way, Remember something, when, Jesus, when Joseph surrendered to the chicken nugget eating Jesus in the manger and knew that he has everything in his hands, he walked out freer, he walked out fuller, and he knew that it wasn't on him and that it wasn't about his feelings or his attitudes, but it was about what, we, what can we do in this coming kingdom. So here's my word to you. Next time you think you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders, would you remember my testimony? Would you remember Joseph? Would you remember Christmas? And when you think you're carrying the weight on the shoulders, would you remember this Christmas proclamation that says, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and all authority rests on his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's the meaning of Christmas. Search for it. Bow before it. Don't ask him to be your personal assistant. Ask him to be your Lord. In Jesus' name, Merry Christmas. Let's pray. God, thank you for being Emmanuel. Remind us that you are God and we are not. When we try, we fail miserably, but we're so stupid, Lord, we try and try again. I know I do. Remind us that you're God. In you, all things, you're before all things, and all, hold, all things hold together. In the palm of your hand, even as an infant in the manger. Remind us that you loved us enough to become one of us. That's Christmas. And that you came to be with us, in relationship, to do life with us. And through that relationship with you, that we could build a whole new community, a whole new humanity, a whole new family in healthy relationships, grace-based relationships, sacrificial love relationships with others.
because of you, because of Emmanuel, because of Christmas. Jesus, we give you thanks for a gift we can never earn and for a light we can never take down. It's in your name that we pray. Let all God's people say, amen. Amen.